Nobody likes to wait. And so to distract us from the waiting, we find things to do, only to end up distracted and drawn away from what or who we are waiting for. It's the same with Jesus' return, isn't it? We know we have to wait. But what do we do while waiting? Hi, this is Hansen from Archippus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His kingdom, that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word again. Lord Jesus, be proclaimed. Holy Spirit, come and teach us so that we can understand, hear, and obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have been journeying with us, we have been working our way through the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. Understandably, Matthew 24 is the go-to chapter for end times discussions, dialogues, and debates. However, I feel that too much emphasis might have been placed on the first part of this chapter when more attention, a lot more, should be directed to Jesus' repeated directions in the latter portion of Matthew 24 and 25. The eschatological backdrop that Jesus presented to his disciples is meant to give us context, not concern. It is to help us focus, not fear. We are not expected to be wondering about the unexpectedness of Jesus' return while waiting. Instead, as we shall see in this teaching, we should be working while waiting. Sadly, too many are caught up with watching the signs and missing Jesus' point. Let us be very clear that when Jesus said to watch, he wasn't referring to the numerous YouTube videos of prophetic speculations about the end times. Let me categorically state that all that has been prophesied will come to pass. Not a word will fail. Matthew 24 verse 35. Our part is not to predict or speculate. Instead, against what has been provided to us by the Lord, our part is to respond correctly that we may be ready and prepared when Jesus returns for His kingdom people. So what do we know so far? Firstly, we know that we do not know the exact time of Jesus' return. Throughout this discourse, Jesus mentions and repeats this important point five times. Matthew 24, 36, 24, 42, 24, 44, 24, 50, as well as 25, 13. Secondly, we know that we need to be watchful, be alert, be ready, be prepared, be faithful. That readiness and preparedness is characterized by watchfulness that leads to faithfulness. Now consistently, Jesus emphasizes this over and over again throughout all the parables. Consistently, Jesus presents two categories of people, those who are ready and those who are not. Consistently, Jesus presents a conditional promise and also a consequential warning. We can be certain that the promise is certain if the conditions are met. 
Likewise, we can be certain that the warning is not an empty threat, that the consequence is certain if the conditions are not met. Well, this is what we know so far. But what do these mean practically? Based on what we know, do we know then what we are to do in the meantime? What are we to do while waiting for Jesus' return? Through this next parable, we will learn and know that we have to be working while waiting. Our text is Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, commonly referred to as the parable of the talents. In the New King James, the parable opens with, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country. However, in the original text, the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is not there. So how did the translators get the idea to insert the kingdom of heaven then? Simple, from the very first word, for. As a conjunctive, it links this verse to the previous verse and also the parable. And since the parable of the ten, or the five plus five virgins, is a kingdom parable, then this parable is also a kingdom parable. This also means that this parable is to be considered as an extension from the previous parable. It is an elaboration of Jesus' main point in the parable of the five plus five virgins. In other words, Jesus doesn't just tell his disciples to be ready and prepared. He goes on and explains how they are to be ready and prepared. By now, we should know that parables are simple stories with easily identifiable characters and relatable situations that contain one key point, and usually presented through a plot twist that captures the listener's attention, and this parable is no different. It involves a master and his servants, well, more accurately, slaves. That's what the word doulos means. Well, slaves or servants were legal property of the master and they were there to serve the master's agenda or will. In Jesus' time in the Roman Empire, slaves could earn wages and bonuses and even acquire property. And so there's no second guessing here that is required. Clearly, Jesus is the master and we are the slaves. No issue with this at all. But are we as clear about what Jesus requires of us? Let's learn together by exploring the key points I notice in this parable. Allocation of assets, according to abilities, alignment and assignments, accountability and assessment, affirmation and approval, access and abundance. Now let's remember as we go through these points, this parable is a kingdom parable, like those in Matthew 13. As such, with all things kingdom, it requires kingdom wisdom to receive and to respond rightly. And so, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Allocation of Assets Matthew 25 verses 14 to 15a For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Let's talk about assets first. Unfortunately, the word talent in this parable has caused considerable confusion 
in the way this parable has been interpreted or applied. Talenton does not refer to skills, giftings, strengths, or abilities as we understand the word talent today. In the New Testament, it refers to a unit of exchange and could be gold, silver, or copper. Well, simply, talent refers to money or financial resources. Commentators may differ as to the value of one talent, but all agree that even one talent it refers to a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And similarly, we have lots and lots of kingdom assets, resources, and also capital at our disposal. And these are not just financial resources, but also human resource, as well as every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Let's look at allocation. Out of the master's possessions, he allocates his assets to the servants. In the New King James, it says his goods, the ESV, his property, NIV, his wealth, and the NASB, his possessions. Well, the thing to note here, the key point, is that everything belongs to the master, not the servants. The servants are merely entrusted with these assets. So when it says that he delivered or he allocated, the word used here means to give over the power to someone else. And out of the riches of the king and the kingdom, there's also been an allocation and distribution to the people of the kingdom. Now, it may be given to us, but it is definitely not for us. All that we have and enjoy do not belong to us. It has been entrusted to us. It is for the purposes of the kingdom and the benefit around us. And this is what the allocation of assets refer to. Number two, according to ability. And next, we see how the assets are allocated. Matthew 25, 15, part B. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. It is very tempting to focus on the different amounts allocated and then begin to compare, to compete, and even complain. How come he or she got more? Why was I not given the same amount? This is where we note that the allocation is not equal but equitable. The assets were fairly but not necessarily equally allocated. Assets are allocated according to ability. Again, we must not confuse ability, which is the capability, with the talent, which is the capital or the asset. The master knows his servants personally, and he knows them all so well, and what they are able to do. As far as the master was concerned, each servant was well able to achieve or accomplish what the master expected. Each of us has already been given every resource required according to what we are able to do. There's no reason to ask for more or complain that we do not have enough. And in case we are tempted to hide behind our perceived inability, the word for ability here is dunamis, the same word used to describe the power of the Holy Spirit. So more than our earthly abilities and skills, we are all enabled and empowered by the Spirit of the King for the purposes of the King. 
even if we feel limited by our own ability in the natural, we must recognize that there are no limits in the spiritual. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. The question is not how much we have, but will we use whatever we have according to our abilities? And number three, alignment and assignment. In Matthew 25, 16 to 18, we're told that the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. And likewise, the one who had two did the same thing. But the one who had one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. Friends, we have both assets and abilities. But what do we do with these? And this is where alignment comes in. However, this point is not altogether obvious. So allow me to explain. Good servants understand the master's heartbeat, his will and purposes, or can we say agenda, just to keep to the letter A. The first two servants went at once and traded with them. They knew exactly what to do, and they went to work immediately. They understood their assignment. And this is the point. Knowing both the agenda and the assignment, their assets and abilities aligned accordingly. Now, the word trade means to put the money to work or to put the assets to work. This, of course, they did with whatever abilities they had. In Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27, there is a similar parable called the parable of the minas. Jesus told this parable because the people thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. We see that in verse 11 of this chapter. Well, not exactly. Waiting is involved. And Jesus explains what we are to do while waiting. And in the various versions in verse 13 of Luke 19, he says, do business till I come, New King James. In the ESV, engage in business until I come. In the NIV, put this money to work until I come back. And in the authorized King James Version, occupy till I come. Now please note, this instruction is not only for business people. It's not only for bankers and investors and financial planners or that we are to make lots and lots of money, as some have wrongly taught. The idea here is to be doing, to be working, to be busy, to be occupied. We are to be working while waiting. We are to be occupied going about the Father's business. It's okay to be busy if we are busy on assignment for the Master. We are to be working while waiting. Sadly, without understanding alignment and assignment, many are busy and occupied with anything and everything except the master's or the father's business. My dear brothers and sisters, assets have been allocated. Abilities are aplenty. No question about this. The question is if these are rightly aligned to the assignments and the agenda of the kingdom. Because when assets and abilities are aligned accordingly with the agenda of the kingdom, we achieve and accomplish our kingdom assignments. Number four, 
accountability and assessment. Matthew 25 verse 19, After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. What are we looking for? The king's return on clouds. Now, when does it happen? Well, we don't know. After a long time, it says, which means some waiting is involved. And so what do we do while waiting for his return? We are to be working while waiting. But what will Jesus do when he returns? He will settle accounts. This is not the first time we're seeing this idea of settling accounts. In the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, verse 23, we are told that the king wants to settle accounts with his servants. In the parable of the unjust steward, Luke chapter 16, verse 2, he says, give an account of your stewardship. We have to give account. And Paul writes and shares the same thing in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, now we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And what happens then? We settle accounts with the Lord and He with us. We are accountable. If we accept that there is to be a settling of accounts, then it's very important to know Jesus' criteria of assessment. Let me ask again, what are we looking for? The king's return on clouds. But what is Jesus looking for? Kingdom returns on investment, ROI. Now, this is very different from L-R-O-I, the name of God, I can assure you. ROI, the return on investment. Now, let's look at the two servants. The first two, there was gain and there was profit. In fact, 100% profit. Matthew 25, verse 20. He who received five talents came and brought five other talents. In Matthew 25, verse 22, the one who received two talents, similarly he came and he says, Lord, I have also two talents to give back to you. In other words, four talents. But how about the third servant? There was no gain. There was no profit. In Matthew 25, verse 24, what he did was that he came, he explained why he did not have any profit, but he explains that he puts it in the ground and he hides it. Friends, what is Jesus looking for? ROI, return on investment, kingdom gains and profitability. He's looking for growth, multiplication, fruitfulness. Now, please don't look at 100% gain as all of us must all bring that 100% rate of return. It also does not mean that there has to be a perfect score or perfect performance. Remember, we are not saved by works, but we are saved for good works and everything is entirely by His grace. What we do, we do our very best. We are working while waiting. And so don't mistake the 100% to be trying to do everything as perfectly as possible, but we do everything as well as we can. Now, we are looking for the King's return on the clouds. But again, I say, Jesus is looking for kingdom returns on investment. We work while we wait so that we can be ready for accountability and assessment. Number five, affirmation and approval. After accountability and assessment comes 
affirmation and approval, we hope. To the two servants, he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. You see the affirmation there? Well done, you're good and a faithful servant. And there was an approval of their faithfulness over a few things that he will make them ruler over many things. But how did they get this? Remember, there was an allocation of assets and it was according to their ability, they aligned and they fulfilled their assignments. But what about the third servant? Matthew 25 verse 26, The Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. Now, take note. Was there allocation? Yes. Assets? Yes. Ability? Yes. But was there alignment? No. Was there assignment then? No. And so there is no affirmation and there is no approval after accountability and assessment. Instead, there was accusation. Wicked. Lazy. And in Matthew 25 verse 30, the Lord uses this term, the unprofitable servant. Now, the Greek word is akarios, and when you have an a there, it means a negative. Now, karios means useful, but akarios or akarios, it means not useful. In other words, useless. And in the ESV, the word used is worthless. Now, that's not what I want to be receiving from the Lord. I want affirmation and approval. Now, the third servant, of course, proceeds to explain or was it to give an excuse? Listen to Matthew 25, verse 24. And then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Three things I notice about this servant. Firstly, he had a wrong focus. Perhaps he was looking at his asset and he said, I only have one talent, the others have so much more. I, I guess this is not enough for me. I, I need to have more before I can do anything else. Or perhaps he looked at his ability, he said, perhaps I'm not good enough. I'm not like the others. And so instead of using what he has, he focused on what he does not have. That's a wrong focus. But does it sound familiar? Many of us tend to give this explanation to the Lord, right? Let's be careful. Secondly, he also had a wrong fear. He said, I knew you, Lord, to be like this and like that, and I was afraid. Here it shows me that there was no real relationship with the Master, and it resulted in a wrong perspective of who the Master really is, and as such he had an unhealthy fear, a wrong fear, and it led to a non-action. Now here's the funny thing, and here's the twist. Even if he was afraid and he said, I don't want to do anything. Truly, if he was really afraid that the master would be a hard man, he would have done something about it. And here's the twist. And that's why the master then said, if you knew me to be like that, then you would have invested it into the bank at least and earned some interest. Now, at that point in time, they were putting money with the bankers or the money lenders to earn some interest. Now, this was prohibited in the Old Testament. Jesus wasn't approving that practice, but he used it 
as a very, very shocking point to make a strong point. If you were really afraid of me, you would have at least done something. So he had the wrong fear. If you had a right fear, that would have also motivated him to move rightly. Like in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, we are told that Noah moved with godly fear. If you truly, truly fear the Lord, you will move in the right manner. And that's what Noah did and built and prepared an ark. And so this is not an explanation. This was truly an excuse. And let's not commit the same error. Thirdly, we notice wrong faithfulness. So what this guy did was he hid the master's talent in the ground. And he says, look, I'm just returning what is yours. I didn't even lose anything. It's all here. It just shows that he thought he was being faithful, but actually he was not. It was wrong. He had no understanding of the master's agenda nor purpose. And with that, he had no understanding of his own role nor the responsibility of himself as a servant. And as a result, no alignment. And no alignment just means no assignment. This point is about affirmation and approval. But we can only have that if we are faithful to accomplish and achieve all that the Lord expects us to do, to know and to fulfill our kingdom assignments. Let's not give explanations, but really, they end up being excuses. And finally, number six, excess and abundance. Matthew 25, 21, as well as 23, the master says to both of the first servants, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. This is excess, isn't it? To enter into the joy of your Lord. But what does that mean? Interestingly, the Aramaic word for joy is also translated as feast. And perhaps Jesus might have been using this to extend and elaborate from the parable of the virgins, the bridesmaid entered into the messianic feast that is there. And so it's very, very closely related. But some have looked at this word joy and said that it is the joy of the righteous, finally in the fullness of the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Whatever it is, this is excess. It refers to the entrance into the messianic kingdom and also entrance and excess into messianic abundance. The master told the servants, you have been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. The work that we do here matters. Now, what we consider as much or hard work now, or what we give up, what we sacrifice now for the sake of the kingdom, friends, is going to be very, very little compared to what we will receive in return when we finally enter the kingdom. We are sowing into eternal things. It's a kingdom investment that will reap kingdom abundance. And here we find that principle in Matthew 25, verse 29, when Jesus finally repeats this point to the disciples. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. He said the same thing in Matthew chapter 13, when he taught about the wisdom and the parables of the kingdom. Now, this is a promise. Amen. But remember again, 
it's a conditional promise. If we fulfill the conditions rightly, this promise is absolutely assured and certain. Now, if it's a conditional promise, this also means that there is a consequential warning. And in verse 30 of this Matthew chapter 25, the master says, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what's the opposite of excess? Rejection, a casting into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we've already covered this in our previous teaching. In four other places in Matthew, the same phrase is used. Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 13, 42, Matthew 13, verse 50, Matthew 24, 51, and right here in Matthew 25, verse 30. And again, five times. And if five is about grace, I think it's a very, very gracious warning by the Lord. One thing is so clear about this, that the weeping, the wailing, or the gnashing of teeth, they all refer to a level of intense regret, pain, frustration, and loss. And these would apply to the faithless, the unfaithful, the lawless, and in today's parable, the unprofitable servants. I know we find this harsh and hard to accept. But again, these are not my words. These are Jesus' words. And we have learned this before. A return mindset takes Jesus at his word. Jesus means what he says, both for the conditional promise as well as for the consequential warning. And so, my friends, love the blessings. But remember, let's heed the warnings. But let's work towards the excess and the abundance of the kingdom of God. I hope you learned something from the various points of this parable. While waiting for Jesus' return, don't end up distracted or drawn away from what or who we are waiting for. We must know what we are to be doing while waiting. Jesus doesn't just tell us to be ready and prepared. He tells us how we are to be ready and prepared. And that's the main point of this parable. We are to be working while waiting for Jesus' return. Not inactivity, not aimless activity, but knowing and fulfilling our kingdom assignments. Allow me to close with a very simple summary. Everything that we have belongs to God. Every asset allocated is to be used for His purposes. And these are all given according to our abilities, what we are able to do. There's no need to compare, compete, or complain. God knows exactly what we are able to achieve in Christ, empowered by His Spirit. It is not how much we have, but what we do with what we have. When we are aligned with the agenda of the kingdom, we will be clear with the assignment of the kingdom. We will know what to do and we will be busy and occupied with kingdom business, working while waiting for Jesus' return. Our Lord's reminders and instructions are extremely clear. There's a conditional promise and also a consequential warning. Our King and Master expects faithfulness and fruitfulness. There will be absolutely no place for excuses. And so don't have the wrong focus, the wrong fear, and even the wrong faithfulness. When He comes, we give account and await His assessment. Looking forward to His affirmation and approval, 
we must discern the difference between desiring and deserving to hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. May we be those who do not presume upon His grace, but are profitable by His grace, gaining entry into the joy of our Lord, access into the Messianic kingdom and Messianic abundance. Amen. Shall we close in prayer? Lord, thank you for making it so clear and so precise, O oh Lord. Once more, Lord, we ask your forgiveness where we try to rationalize or justify and perhaps we give our own explanation and even excuses. Lord, by your grace, enable us once more. Show us, Lord, how we can line up with you to be aligned with your agenda and your purposes so that we may know our assignments and with all you've allocated to us, Lord, according to our ability, that we may be found faithful, that we are ready to be accountable when we meet with you. And we know you're going to help us, Lord, because you said you will never leave us nor forsake us as we go about the mission and the agenda of the kingdom. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipusawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.